Before I get started, Daisy, you want to make your way forward? I don't even know where she went. There she is. She's so small, she sits in the seats and she completely disappears. Okay, so Daisy's going to come and share with us about International Commission and uh, acquaint you with that ministry with which we've been on at this church many times, uh, some of us, uh, overseas and doing things. Of course, the COVID issue has made that rather difficult lately, but uh, there's some new opportunities that are coming, and I kind of see it as God's way of, of forcing our hand. So Daisy, come and share us and tell us all about it. It was Tuesday afternoon following a night of rain in Kompat Province, Cambodia. Our last visit was a large vacant church in a very bleak landscape. Just a few yards from the Vietnam border, the gray block building was surrounded by vast salt flats that stretched for miles on either side. Parking the team van, we had to remove our shoes and wade through ankle-deep mud littered with trash, animal dung, and green with algae. As always in Asia, we gathered children, dogs, and curiosity with each step. The one believing family in the area was desperate for fellowship and a chance to see others come to faith in Jesus. They had invited their friends to come to this empty, unused building to hear our testimonies. We took turns giving voice to the gospel. There were 20 decisions of faith that day. One young man even volunteered to begin teaching a Bible study of new believers in that location. There was spiritual hunger, a clear message, responses of faith, and even leaders identified. Could anything speak more plainly of a God who seeks out his own lost sheep? Some dig wells and build buildings. Some bring medicine and perform life-changing surgeries. Some distribute food, teach out agriculture, or educate children. We merely tell the story of the one who cared enough to leave heaven, live to die, be raised to life again so that they might have abundant life, restored fellowship, forgiveness of sin, and everlasting life. It is more than enough. I believe my final thoughts in this world may well be of the faces in these places, how they regard us first with interest and then with hope, and finally utter joyful abandon in smiles and sparkles that simply must come from hearts changed by the knowledge of Jesus. I wrote that several years ago on a trip. It's my privilege to work with International Commission. It's a 45-year-old ministry that has long been involved in what we call partnership evangelism. And that's kind of a mouthful, but I, I just want to briefly explain to you what we do, and then I want to tell you what happened with COVID and some of the new things that God has brought into our our vision, and also I want to close with some opportunities for you to get involved. Our motto or our, our goal mission statement reads like this, equipping and enabling believers worldwide to conduct church-to-church -church partnership evangelism projects to reach unbelievers and make disciples. So that, in a nutshell, is what we do. I think that what's unique about International Commission, what drew me to them, are what I call the four Ps, things that you don't always find in missions and things that have been very near and dear to my heart as I've studied God's word and been involved in missions and ministry over the years. 
The first, of course, is the P of prayer. I know that you talk much about that in your church. I know Mickey well enough and have listened to some of the sermons and know a little bit about what has gone on in your church in the last year. And I know that you value missions. I also know that you understand uh, the deep need to begin every project with prayer. We do what's called Operation Andrew, and it's unique. It's a Billy Graham crusade tool. It means that we don't go into a country unless we're invited by churches that are already there. And the churches, every member is given one of these cards in their language. And If you ever visit Charlotte, North Carolina, don't miss the Billy Graham Library. It's not a library. It's an interactive walk through his life and the people he impacted and the things that he did, and it is just fabulous. But you'll see a copy of this card, which has been used in crusades around the world for about 50 years. Anyway, what they do is identify 10 people they know who need to hear about Jesus. This is called Operation Andrew. And then they commit to praying for those people for six months before we take the team. So there's a heavy investment in prayer before we ever go. The second P is partnership. We rely on local churches, local leaders, local believers who have said they want to reach out to their community. It's not a group of Americans going in with a strong agenda. Move aside, we're going to show you how it's done. That never works well. The third one is my favorite. It's pure evangelism. You know, I'm not here to criticize or evaluate any ministry. Uh, Jesus' life was one of sharing the truth, but he also ministered to people. And all those things matter. But for me personally, I decided when I was pretty young that I wanted to invest my time and my resources in evangelistic outreach. Sometimes when you go to a foreign country, if you're not careful, uh, if you're too aware of your wallet, you know, as Americans, we often go with knowledge, with resources. We have so much we want to give away. And people sense that. They sense what we truly value. And before long, they're looking for that thing which you most value. And unfortunately, a lot of times, it isn't our testimonies. It isn't the gospel. So when we go, we limit our focus to strictly sharing the gospel. We don't dig a well. We don't do anything as far as medical or or food distribution. We don't do any of those things. We clearly can say to people, I came for one reason. I came to tell you about the most important thing in my life, and it's Jesus. That's very freeing because they don't wonder why you're there. There's no confusion. And the fourth P is pass the torch. That means that when we send a team on a project, we train them ahead of time to be looking for those folks from the country we visit that are ready to take up the torch of evangelism and carry on the work. We begin to draw back as a team. Second, third day, we begin to let our interpreters and our local church leaders do the gospel presentations and share their testimonies. And by the last day, most of the time we're standing back and praying as they share the gospel with new confidence. They've seen God at work and they've had a demonstration of what it looks like to share the Lord, and they are excited 
and they're ready to continue. So we come home, and there's this moment when you know you're ready to come home. It's, it's undescribable, but you're there, and you think, I need to be here. But then just one moment, you know what? I don't need to be here anymore. They got this. I'm going to go home and let them continue. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to be able to say on any mission trip. So our goal is to reach every nation. We've got 36 left on the list. But then, of course, COVID hit. And international travel has become really difficult, as you know. Lots of restrictions. And uh, we did have a team that went to Brazil uh, right in the middle of COVID. And they all 26 tested negative on the way out. And on the way in, 24 of them tested positive. So I don't know if it was worth it or not. But that's just what happens in the world today. But there are three incredible things that have happened in the ministry that I'm going to share with you that have really, uh, I don't think they would have happened, as Pastor Mickey said, had we not been in a situation where we had to, to ask God, Lord, what do you want us to do now? The churches are closed. The invitations are not coming. Ministry can't happen, right? Wrong. There are always, always ways. The first thing was the development of more and stronger national-to-national projects. We do projects around the world without the presence of Americans simply by following the same model, but it's people in a foreign country who travel to a different location in their own country or a neighboring country where Americans cannot go, and they do the same Operation Andrew preparation, the same evangelistic outreach. The results are nothing short of fabulous, and it takes a few American dollars to help with the budget, no American bodies. It's an amazing thing. I want to read you the list of where the national, national to nationals are happening this coming week. These are the countries that are in some stage of a national to national project. They're either preparing to do the project in the near future, the project is happening now, or they're doing discipleship and church planning. Venezuela, Cuba, Panama, Honduras, Lebanon, Congo, Congo, Uganda, Bangladesh, Ukraine, Indonesia, Bolivia, Nepal, India, Benin, Chile, Niger, El Salvador, Vietnam, Iran, Turkey, Brazil, Kenya, Bosnia, Montenegro, Togo, Zambia, Malaysia, Macedonia, Sri Lanka, Cameroon, El Salvador, Maldives. That's just in a week. And that has grown and grown and grown since COVID. They, they can't depend on Americans coming. They don't want American teams to come on their soil. So what do they do? They figure it out and they move forward. The second thing that's been really amazing is the development of a large collection of evangelism tools that we're now making available to churches. If you go on our website, you can find all kinds of things and I know you already do this in your church, but now I'm visiting churches, and I can say to a pastor, I have tools for evangelism. I can help you do evangelism training in your church so that you can reach your own community, and that's a great thing. And that's because our staff wasn't making foreign hotel and flight arrangements. They weren't applying for visas. They weren't communicating with foreign uh, churches trying to organize projects. They've been in the office doing this, which has been very productive. And the third and probably the most exciting is a new focus, extended focus on North America. 
Usually when we take trips overseas, we'll have pastors or often church leaders that come with us. And they so often walk away and say, why can't we do this at home? Why wouldn't this work in America? And the answer is, yes, it does, and it will. So now we are actively introducing the North America Projects to pastors and associations across all of the United States and also Canada and Mexico. They look exactly the same. An area gives us an invitation. Our staff travels there and trains the churches in the area to do Operation Andrew, and then we take a team into that location, a team from somewhere like Idaho, Tennessee, a group of just ordinary folks who want to do an evangelistic outreach. So you can participate in this by being the church that receives the team and reaching your community, or you can say, I just want to go on a team. I want to go on a project. Maybe I can't go internationally this year, but I can, go to, I can go to Las Vegas. That one's going to be next fall. So there are nine locations right now that are actively praying and planning to have a North America project. And they include places like Missouri, Texas, New England states, Oklahoma, Florida, Nevada, and Arizona. It's like we're reaching the nations within our nation. People are here. And they need to hear the gospel. And there are open doors wherever we look. So how can you get involved? I want to give you three areas. If your heart is stirred, uh, you, can, you can get involved. The first is that I believe that mission starts in the heart. And that the first thing and the most powerful thing you can do is ask God to give you a heart for the harvest. If you don't have a heart for the harvest your effectiveness will be very limited. You can go, you can do things, but God will not be in it. How do you get a heart for the harvest? Well, in reading Matthew 9, 35 to 38, I think there are six things that we have to ask God for specifically to change our hearts so that we're prepared when he leads us to do something like this. I'm going to read that scripture quickly. Are we okay on time? I know I'm taking up your time. Okay. I know you've heard this, but I want you to listen differently. Listen with the mindset of, does my heart possess these things? Has God implanted these in my heart so that I'm really ready to be involved in missions and outreach? Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease. There we see passion. Jesus went everywhere because he was passionate about his work. We need a heart of passion. And you see ministry. He was touching people and healing them and meeting their needs. We have to have a heart willing to minister to people. To get messy sometimes is what it takes. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Here we see Jesus' heart of compassion. This is the key ingredient to a heart for the harvest. If you don't have compassion for people, I don't naturally have compassion for people. I didn't make my first trip overseas and 
and God chose me to go because I had a great love for the people there. That's not how it worked. I signed up to go, and I said, Lord, I need this love for your people. Would you give me the mind of Christ? Give me that compassion so that I can meet needs and minister with a heart that is purely motivated by your love and not mine. So we have to ask for a heart of compassion. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. We have to have a sense of urgency. In study and revelation in the class this morning, it just comes to my mind again and again. We don't know when the Lord will return, but we know he will. It is a promise. He is coming back for us. There isn't all the time in the world to reach people for Christ. And then lastly, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all kinds of sickness and disease. We have to be personally involved. So this is the final thing in praying a heart for the harvest. So that is the first thing you can do. Ask God to give you the passion, a heart for ministry and compassion, a sense of urgency, a commitment to prayer and personal involvement. The second thing you can do is go. I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen this year, but I believe there's seven or eight international projects that are going to travel. That would be July. We're going to go to Mexico and Peru. September, Zimbabwe, Russia, Belarus. October would be Armenia. November, Thailand. So you can go. Um, surely you won't go if you never get off square one and say you'd like to and step up and say, Lord, here I am, send me. For sure the trip will be canceled because the trip never will happen. It'll never get planned in your book. So I'm saying be bold. If you feel led to go on a long-term or a short-term foreign mission trip, step up and say, yes, I want to go, Lord. And, and if, it, if the door opens this year, I'm in. I'll, I'll go. And if not, I'll be flexible. And you've got to fly your colors. You've got to be uh, willing to say yes. It looks like I'll be leading the Cambodia project in 2022. I hope to go on at least one other project during the year this year, but we won't know. April 28th is a big day. The CDC uh, will be meeting with some other World Health Organizations and countries of larger nations, and they'll be making decisions about travel restrictions that are now in place. And we will never take you in a place where we know you're going to have to quarantine 14 days when you get there. Uh, that's not going to happen. We're just constantly paying attention to find out what's going on and, and how we can react. But there are some great opportunities. And third, you can give. Some of us are called to give. Greatest need right now is to support these national-to-national -national projects. They don't cost a lot. They cost about 1200 to maybe at most 2000 American dollars. That's to do the whole project. That's about half of what it costs for one participant to go on one trip overseas. And the mileage that we get is incredible. I want to read one more thing for you, and that is a letter that came to me a short while ago. This was from an end-to-end -end that happened in Turkey 
two months ago, and this is the report that I received. My name is Kazabek. I came to Turkey from Afghanistan. I arrived in Istanbul. I thought I would stay there in freedom and I could become a stronger Muslim. I started deeply studying the Quran, asking many questions. One day, walking near the Hagia Sophia Grand Mosque, I heard a tour guide explaining to his group that it used to be a Christian church. I was surprised to hear this because I assumed that there should and must be absolutely no connection between Christians and Muslims. But on that place, Muslims performed their prayers where before them, Christians had been praying. Frankly speaking, after that news, I lost my respect to that mosque and I started to think more about Christianity than Islam. One day I met with Khamid and I found out that he was a Christian, plus he knew very well both the Quran and the Bible. I already knew that in Turkey everything is possible to get in my idea of my mind. Maybe Khamid just traded his native faith for personal benefits, but he was so sincere. And after a conversation with him, he told me that his friend was coming from Tajikistan, Kassan, who would like to meet with me and talk. I knew from him that Kassan was a Tajik, a former Muslim, and that he had another surprise for me. I realized such former Muslims, now converted to Christianity, are living in many places in the world. So I prepared myself for the meeting. I brought bo bought proper books and read about disputes between Muslims and Christians. I talked to my friends about how to convict the betrayer to return back to Islam. Also, I watched hundreds of video clips. I was totally sure I was ready for the meeting. When I met Kassan, I was impressed. He was acting during our conversation. He did not jump from one topic to another. He knew exactly what to say. That really touched me. And even while our talking, I started to think him differently. After this meeting with Kassan and Khamid, my friend, I returned to my home and prayed that the Lord would open himself to me, as Kassan had told me to do. That same night, I saw a special dream. The next morning, I knew for sure I wanted to become a Christian. I realized I was guilty before God. I needed his forgiveness. I turned to Jesus on that weekend. That's just one report from one person from one national to national project. I want to close by reading a message I received two days ago from our national leader in Myanmar. I know that you have had Myanmar on your minds because I know you gave a gift to a pastor there around Christmas time, and also some of you have been, and a couple of you have asked me about this. Their situation is quite bleak. As you know, they're living under a military coup that took place on February 1st. Uh, they're under martial law. Myanmar is already the 18th most persecuted, persecuted country in the world. And it's already a difficult place. But the military is very powerful and extremely corrupt. So this is their cry for help. And then we're going to close in prayer for Myanmar. Uh, one other note, I'm just going to leave a little stack of my cards back there on your table going out. If you're interested in any of the things I've mentioned, I can't stay after the service and talk with you. But if you'll just contact me, tell me what you'd like to know about. If it's a project, I'll get you in touch with the leader. If it's any of the other things I mentioned, I'll be happy to communicate with you. 
Greetings, my sister from Myanmar. I hope and I pray that this finds you well. In our situation, it is getting worse each day. Yesterday only, in Yangon Township, terrorists killed, shot 134 protesters. Many of them are still in serious condition in the hospital. Latest updates this morning. We can't take it anymore. These brutal acts of the terrorists are heartless, cruel, and inhumane. Some they arrested last night. The next day, they informed the family to come and get the dead bodies. They did not shoot, but tortured, beaten till death. They killed people in two different ways. Sharon, she owns an orphanage, runs an orphanage. Her parents are not safe to stay in their home. They have hidden the orphans, and they now are in hiding as well. The soldiers are well known for taking young children and turning them into soldiers, and so they are at risk. Last night near my house, there was shooting since 6 p.m. until 9 p.m. We were so scared. We thank God if we can survive each day. I am crying as I am writing this to you. Our fears and our tears are unstoppable. We thank God for having a sister as you who prays. Let's pray. Father, we know in our intellect and in our minds that people around the world are suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, somehow, it comes home when we know the people and we know the circumstances. We know the heartache and the fear. We know the uncertainty of the future. We know their suffering. Lord, we also know that you are God. You rule and reign supreme. Your great agenda of bringing the nations to your son is being carried out in spite of all that we see and hear. You are bringing people to faith. You are ruling the nations through the power and presence of believers there. And Lord, even though the prince of this world is in charge for the time being, we know the victory is won. So, Lord, we lift up these Christian brothers and sisters in Myanmar, the churches there, the Bible college students there, as they are in such a difficult circumstance. We pray you would give them hope and courage that they could lead well and persevere well through these trials. We pray for mercy for the military that are now in charge we pray that you would bring an end to this situation and that somehow, someway, you would grow your kingdom in the midst of it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is 750,000 miles long? It circles the earth 30 times, and every day it grows by another 20 miles. It's the line of people without Christ. Thank you. I changed my message. <laughs> So, that happens.
Matthew chapter 9, if you will. We've read this before. Some of you may even know it by heart. But I think in light of what Daisy shared, we should evaluate just exactly where we sit in our day as human beings, as Christians, those of us here who know Christ, and what it is we're about. So, familiar passage of Scripture here, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among, peop- among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the famous part we all are aware of, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. As I listen to Daisy talk, it makes me remember why we do what we do. Our, our mandate is very simple as a church, and not just this church. All churches that claim to know Christ as Lord, that venerate the Bible as the inspired word of God, and hold it to, uh, as the sole authority for faith and practice, are under the mandate of God to preach the gospel. We exist to glorify God and to preach the kingdom of God, the gospel. That's why we are here. In America, in the land of plenty, there is so much to criticize in our day. I'm going to rag on my seminary a little bit here. Uh, it has been a really good. It has been a really good experience so far. But this last class, but I've, I'm pretty vocal, so I already told them. Okay. But here, here's what I want to set up for you. Why do we do what we do, and how complicated is it? This last class and everything, every other class has been wonderful. But this last class is brand new. And it's called Innovations in Pastoral Ministry. There's a problem with that right off the bat. The word is innovation. We're not building a new toaster or lawnmower. We don't need to, uh, we don't need to improve our machinery. Our machinery is impeccable. to communicate to people the reason why we exist and and why we do what we do and in what power is it done. Now, so far the class has five weeks left. And I have, with as much courtesy as I can muster, (laughs) tried to be nice 
in all of these things. But in all the textbooks that we've read except one, none of them have had anything to do with preaching the gospel, much less with any dependence upon the Holy Spirit to do so. It's all been about programs, lights, smoke, bands, branding, marketing, and website presence. Oh, and here's my favorite. Don't build your physical presence. Build your virtual presence. Use your, your, your brick and stone campus as a studio to build your virtual attendance. Because statistics show that people are going to be more apt to want to go to church online, and so if they go to the mountains, they can tune in. If they're visiting grandparents, they can tune in. If they're out on the lake fishing, they can tune in. This is where America is. So after vomiting in the trash can, going over to JT and saying, Can you believe this? And him going, Better you than me. I'm left with how to, how to engage this without being a sledgehammer. Back to the text. Here is how simple what we have to do really is. And the greatest innovation that I have been able to, 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 to come up with in all of these things has been the innovation of the rediscovery of the sufficiency of the Savior. Led by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. Let's look at the text here and let us allow the greatest innovator who has ever lived teach us what he did to fulfill the biblical mandate given to the church. Okay, here it is. Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Number one, you got to go where people are. That doesn't mean go to the lake. I'm going to preach Jesus when I'm out there on the lake. How big is your boat? You got to go where the people are. You, you have to, we have to find ways to be around people now, Daisy. When we, when we go to these, to these other countries, they have a very village mentality. So they're in each other's lives constantly. In the city, in the country, it doesn't matter. You're running into people all day long because that's how they live. Hey, I got my voice back. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Um, so we in America are separated by, by technology. They say it brings us together. <laughs> Have you seen your kid's brain in however long since they've had a phone? They have myopia because they look at it so much. So we got to go where the people are. We have to get intuitive and innovate reconnecting with people. We, we drive in our truck separately. We, we think we can Zoom life. I'll tell you this much and I promise you. 
over my dead body and that of the elders I know too, will we ever become a Zoom-centric church, right? Okay. We may discover jail ministry, but I'm not, you know, I had to go eat my words last week, JT, because I thought, hey, maybe we should really look into this live stream thing. And I talked to the elders about it. And after really thinking through what I would be enabling, I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. Doesn't mean we won't try videos and put that up, but... The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together virtually. No, it doesn't. It says, assuming the physical presence. And when we hear about what they go through in Myanmar, when we hear about what they go through in Cambodia, and we hear about these other places, oh, that's all over there. We are naive to believe that we're going to be able to depend on the access of the internet, especially with what we saw in light of the last election when corporate moguls are censoring people at will. The church is a screaming offense to the New Equality Act. So that means that we're going to have to be out among folks saying, hey, you know what the gospel is? I just got to talk to a guy last week about that. I asked the question, do you know what the gospel is? And he gave a good answer. Well, it's, 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 it's one of the chapters in the gospels. And I said, you know, you're right, but do you know what it actually is? As I began to share, we had a good conversation. Now, he was there to give me a price on what it takes to spray my weeds. That was the person I saw. That's how hard it is to meet people, right? But when he said a few words and I'm paying attention and I'm praying, Lord, some kind of way that's not really weird. Open it up, and he did, and you just have to walk through. The point is, Jesus went about the cities and the villages on purpose. Teaching in their synagogues. Preaching. Now notice this part, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. This is what he was about. And he only did what the Father told him to do. If you remember, that's what he said. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Are we mindful enough of our life in the microcosm of of our own reality that we are ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven wherever we exist? Now, how many people come through your office then? Because it's hard unless you're surrounded by people. And I want to tell you, Jay, when you're a minister, you're separated even farther from your mission. You have to be even more intentional. You have to be even more intuitive on how to do that. But Jesus went out on purpose to see people, to preach the gospel. It says, and he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, I can't do that. I can't heal diseases. I can't heal sicknesses. But I can give them hope for the one who can. I can share with them in that moment, Bye, Daisy. We're so glad you came. We'll be in touch. Back here. So I can, I can share with them who Jesus is. If you bypass an opportunity to share Christ when someone's suffering, you've, you've just went through without giving them anything of substance. 
Say, I understand you're hurting. I understand you're sore. I understand you're going through struggle. I'll pray for you. Well, that's really good. But why stop there? Listen, do you know what the gospel is? I am convinced that when I, when in America today, the, the place that has been known to be the number one sender of missionaries for a long time, no longer knows what the gospel is. Ask your friends. Can I ask you something? If I were to say, what is the gospel? Could you tell me what that was? And you find out what they say. You're going to get everything from a book in the Bible to a to-do list of holiness in their mind. And they don't realize it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you realize what that means? The gospel is this, that you're a sinner and that Christ died for your sins. The Bible says death. But the gift of God is eternal life. You have to give your sin debt to Jesus Christ to live. Or if not, you're, you're without a covering. You have no buddy to pay your debt. You're alone in it. You have, you have uh, turned away from Christ. You are alone in it. You must confess. You must repent of your sin. If you do not, the wages of, sin is, of your sin is death. You realize this is the gospel. But Jesus died on the cross for your sin in your place. And that by through repentance of your sin and faith in Him, you can have eternal life. You must be born again because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead after suffering on the cross and He died on that cross and He rose again on the third day and by virtue of His life, you can live. That's the gospel. And they don't know that. You would be amazed how many church people don't know that. Jesus was always about doing that. And so while I can't heal disease, I can take advantage of the opportunity of that disease, of that trial, of that hardship to share the gospel. Do we think in terms of eternity? But when he saw the multitudes, verse 36 is pretty big, and I'm going to finish this up fast. When he saw the multitudes, it says, he was moved with compassion. For them, because they were weary. In other words, in my Bible here, in the margin, it says they were harassed, actually. Scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Are you moved with compassion for souls going to hell? I want to remind you once again. Hell is the absence of of all of the virtues of God, love, joy, mercy, peace, uh, compassion. It is nothing but eternal wrath. And how great is that wrath? You have friends, you have family. You can't make decisions for them. You wouldn't want to talk them into heaven anymore because someone else could talk them out. But if you preach the gospel, if you share the gospel, if you take the time to pray for them, to know the gospel, you've done all you can do and keep doing it and, and pray the gospel for them. Pray the, in other words, pray that God would take the words that were shared of the gospel and penetrate their soul. But do we do that? America, again, there's so much in easy to criticize. But are we even moved with compassion? 
Do we even have the love for souls like we're supposed to have? When you preach a funeral, and I don't very few probably here have, few of us, there's a solemnity to it that is palpable. And that is this. The person that is deceased, and it's even more so when it's alive, like one of those viewing services where you have the, the body in the casket and they have the viewing. And people go by and they say, oh, they look so good. I'm like, they're dead. How ashen can you look? Here's the thing. That's it. And when you're preaching this, this is the object lesson of a funeral. It's inevitable. In case you don't remember, you're going there. You say, I'm 20. Well, one day you may not be 20. You're going to be like 80. <laughs> You'll be, I am 80. And that's, then you're on borrowed time. But this is it. It's, fi- it's final. And that, when you're around lifeless bodies, that's just it. It's, that's, 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 there's, yes, it's what they look like, but there's such an absence of the person. So don't say they look good. That they're not all there. If you don't know Christ, there is nothing that anybody can do for you when you're there. You, you realize that however long it from that moment of that person's decease to wherever they were lined up in the church, they've been that long, if they don't know Christ, in Hades, in torments, awaiting judgment. That's a fact. That's a biblical fact. Jesus came that you might have life. And so when you do the funeral of a Christian, what a different, what a different atmosphere we have. What a, okay, they may still have the viewing because some people like that, and they may still have the body. But there's such a difference of spirit involved because the hope, now by the way, too, that body that's right there, you know, that you think, that looks so good. It's a purchased possession out of Ephesians chapter 2. God's going to get that thing and give it a makeover. It's a good thing too. Okay? A lot of you are going to have a lot of hardware to get rid of. And so, God's going to make that thing over. And, and so, He's going to reunite your body with your spirit and bammo in heaven. You've got like, yeah! You know, and you're going to be before the Lord. But if you're lost, if there's no Christ, there's death, decay, and destruction for all eternity. It's, it's not a once and done deal. It's just blackness of torment forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever in infinitum. So Jesus was moved with compassion. And he looked at the people and he said, I love you. Now he could say that. And do we go to people and can we say I love you? Not without the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. This is where we get into being led of the Spirit. Now just be patient with me. I'll finish this up. He said to his disciples, and this is the part I want to get to. The harvest truly is plentiful. 
but the laborers are few. I, I, me, I do this. Lord, are you really sure there's any wheat in the heads left? Because it sure seems like the sparrows have picked it clean. Because I'm not seeing much. There's hardly a, a shred of spiritual interest. Hey, do you know what the gospel is? No. Do you want to hear it? No. Do you care about your soul? No. Do you care about your phone? Oh, yeah, very much. Do you care about getting COVID? Oh, no. You know. Do you care about dying? Well, you know, it's just part of what happens. So because there's... Dead people don't think very well. Okay? Jesus said there... But here's the problem. Jesus said that there is a harvest... And it finally occurred to me. Maybe we should begin to pray with eyes for eyes to see it. Maybe we should be tending the garden around us so that we notice what's there. Our world is voracious in its appetite for our attention. It wants our complete attention. You all are so busy, I wouldn't even begin to say how much you have to do. But if you're in Jesus, you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. It's no longer you who live, remember? But Christ who lives in you. Then you say, well, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Is that true? Is that really, really true? Because I know for me, I'm in today. I'm out tomorrow. I'm in. I'm out. And the Lord is like, pick a row. Okay. Pick a lane, friend. And to pray is where we begin. That's why I appreciate what, J- what Daisy said. Everything that happens in the International Commission thing does and is saturated by prayer. Now I want to finish up and then I'm going to give the conclusion. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest is out labors and does harvest. So the Lord told us in verse 38 how this thing's supposed to work. And you know what, JT? You don't need an MDiv to understand that. Much less a D-men. Another curl in a pig's tail, as they say. Jesus said, if you want to engage the harvest... First, you need to pray. Because you don't have what it takes to do the job. Second, on, upon your praying, you need to pray that God would break, raise up laborers to go into it. Back in Oklahoma, back in the day when I was farming, not, not every farmer had a combine. Now, everyone know here what a combine is, right? Okay, right? I'll please say yes. Okay. <laughs> Well, you would have thousands of acres of standing grain in Oklahoma, which had, you know, capricious weather. But they didn't have a combine, so they were on a list for the wheat harvesters to to roll through. Now, we had a combine, so we could go get the grain anytime it was ready. But they had to wait. You see, they didn't have a laborer to go in and get it. They didn't have the, the means. They had to wait. Many times... They lost some grain to, to rain or, or flood. It come, it's either on or off in Oklahoma. So, you know, and they would do that. The Lord is telling us to be laborers, to, to pray for laborers. So here's, here's what I want to close with. And 
this wasn't what I had prepared today, but International Commission is proposing that what we do overseas, we do here. So that means that we would say we want to be a receiving church for a team. And we would do our best, me and JT and the elders, we'll get you guys in there. And we would try to get some cooperation from other churches involved. And we would put together a project which really going to come down to that little green card. And I'm just going to pretend this is the little green card. Pretend. And you would, be, you would say, okay, Lord, I realize that we need to have laborers going to the harvest. I have no idea what I'm doing. But I'm going to begin to pray. And I want to ask you to reveal to me ten people that I know that I can pray for it well in advance. And then go and say... Would you allow for a visit from our mission team on this month? They will be here. And we would like to come to your house to share the gospel. Don't just, don't lie, to share with you about Amway. No, we don't want to do that. We want to talk about, is that still around? Anyway, we want, okay. So we want to talk about the gospel. And then, if you can imagine all across the Magic Valley, it's never been done before. She didn't mention Idaho on her list. So imagine if we had a hundred contacts just from our own congregation made inside a five-day stretch. We're not talking about going after decisions because that's an unbiblical thing. We're talking about our mandate here, preaching the gospel. Folks, all I want is an audience. I just want to be, I just want someone to say, yes, please, share the gospel. We're all set here. Well, did you know the Bible says, and you go through the gospel you're not searching for a decision. You're just sharing the gospel. Being sensitive to the Spirit. You've, you've spent nine months in advance of praying. Nine months. You have babies in nine months. Some of you know that very well. Okay? It's imminent. The time is short. And that's what happens. Now I just wonder, would we have the audacity of faith as a congregation to host one of these? You know, you're like, are you, uh, are you asking? Or? Well, I'm, I'm actually just fishing. <laughs> that because here's where it, here's here's where it would look like for you. This is really, I'm I'm gonna pick on Kim because she always gets red when I talk about her face. Just goes, <laughs> but anyway, Kim would be like, oh, Nikki, but. Well, there's 10 people. Hey, ring, ring, you call them. Well, you know when ring rings anymore, huh? And you call on the phone or you go to their house and you meet them at lunch and you say, hey. And you've already been praying, right? Kim says to friend number one, hey, friend one. I was wondering, we, we have a mission team coming in so much time. You know that our church is Northridge and you know I'm a Christian. Yes, yes, I do. Would it be okay if, 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 I, if we came over to your, there would be about three of us, we came over and just, just talked with you and shared with you about the gospel. And to our surprise, they say yes. And then she's like, okay. So then she's got to go, right? Now, well, what, you know, I could pick on any one of you, you know. Lynn's got friends. He actually does somewhere. But, you know, <laughs> But Lynn contacts his, his, maybe his next-door neighbor or whoever. And 
you know, you may not have 10. And you may begin to quickly realize you don't really have any lost friends. I don't know that that's a good thing. Who are you supposed to talk to about Jesus if they all say? But do you see what would happen to us? It would move us into a different spot. Jesus said there is a harvest. He said there's a harvest. But we don't pray like we ought to about it. And I don't know that we have the compassion for it. So we're going to have to get real with what we value. Do you know Jesus? Churches in our America today are dropping like flies to the, to the progressive agenda. They're embracing homosexuality like you can't imagine. This has even come to the forefront of the Dutch Reformed Church. They are discussing in talks right now about that and about to So, everywhere you look, so there's not a lot of us. But they are there still because God is faithful. Here's the, here's the challenge today, JT. Where are you in your love walk with Jesus in your eternal view of life with the mandate of preaching the gospel? Where are you? I mean, really, where really are you? You say, well, the truth is, I stink. I don't hardly think about it. And then when I do, I quickly stop thinking about it. Because I don't know really, it's busy. We're, We're wearing business. You don't have time left anymore to dicker. We have to be about evangelism or we perish. Do you know the gospel? That Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose the third day, according to the scripture. That without him you'll die in your sins and go to hell. And you will never come back from there. But with Jesus, you can have life eternal, your sins forgiven, new life put inside you, and a purpose. That's what the Lord can do. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. Whatever God is calling you to do right now, the altar's open. I know we're past. We don't have Sunday night, so why not? Just whatever the Lord is calling you to do in this invitation time, let's just think about it as JT plays.